this week on Dig Me Out. Jason Zia and Tim Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this episode is an interview. And that's our old friend Chip is back. Hi, Chip. Hello. Chip, yes. who you got for us this week? This artist, this singer, fronts a band, and I would say I can't think of another band that has had made so much out of, had a, a, based an entire career around bad relationships. Um, I interviewed Christopher Hall from Staten Have you heard Oscar. of Fleetwood Mac? I, 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 have you dug deep into the Stabbing Western catalog? <laughs> no. Because, um, yeah, there's quite quite a few songs about bad relationships. But yeah, it was Christopher Hall from Stabbing Westward. And, you know, um, I would have been happy to talk to him regardless. But I will say, um, you know, over the last couple of years, Stabbing Westward has here and there played one-off shows. They've done a little bit of touring. Um, it's Stabbing Westward now is, is really goes back to the original two guys, Christopher Hall and Walter Flackus. Uh, those guys met in high school, like in the mid '80s, and Stabbing Westward actually, which I didn't know, they they started like five, six, seven years before their first record came out on Sony or Columbia or whatever whatever label it was. Columbia, Columbia. yeah, Columbia. Um, they been they they had started like in the in like the mid '80s or mid to late '80s. Um, so hmm. so Stabbing Westward today is is Christopher and Walter, and then they've got a couple other musicians. Uh, some of those musicians, maybe all of them, were in Christopher's post-Stabbing Westward band called The Dreaming. Um, he mentions in the interview, and you know, it, it's one of those things that artists from this period, and, and probably any period, run into when, they, when, when a popular, successful band breaks up and somebody starts something new, right, and it doesn't have the traction. He said, you know, even though The Dreaming sounded like Stabbing Westward. The lyrics were written by the same person who wrote Stabbing Westward lyrics. Um, you know, the music was sort of the same. People kept asking for Stabbing Westward to reunite or kept uh, shouting out Stabbing Westward requests during Dreaming shows. And he's like, at some point, he just sort of realized that Stabbing Westward was, was what people wanted. And so he put Stabbing Westward back together, which is really not really putting back together. It's him and Walter doing stuff with the guys that were in the Dreaming. Uh, but they they actually have a new record coming out, which, you know, mm -hmm. for someone like myself, I, like I love Stabbing Westward. I, I love everything, um, everything they've done. So I was super excited to hear that they that they were going to put out new music because it's very easy for all of these bands to go out and just play greatest hits. And that's, yeah. you know, fa fans would have been happy to hear that. But their new record comes out Chasing Ghosts on March 18th. So depending on when you hear this, you'll either hear it before and be looking forward to it or you'll be able to dive right in. And if you're checking out this episode, you may not know. We did uh, review A Darkest Days, the album from 1998, in uh, a previous episode. So you can always uh, check the, on our, on our website, you check the uh, associated episodes and you'll find it there. So I did not, in, you know, I, I, I trimmed the interview to, to send off to you guys. Um, but uh, when the interview was, right when the interview was happening, I'm texting Tim 
and I'm like, hey, can do you remember? Was it a good or a bad review? Because I'm if it, if it was a good review, I'll mention it. But if it was a bad review, I'm not going to mention it. But I think you said that uh, that it was a, a pretty good review, and so I yeah. I mentioned he just sort of laughed, and you know, uh, good reviews, bad reviews, it it doesn't matter to him at this point. At this point, I mean, it's 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 past. It's yes. you know what I mean. Like, what does he care? Yes, we're a couple knuckleheads with a podcast. I mean, we're not going to change anybody's mind about what that record sounds like. So if you want to put in, you know, I'll, uh, another. You already put in the pitch at the beginning, but um, Stabbing Westward is a band that gets mentioned sometimes in Discord uh, in the industrial category. And are they industrial band or not? Yeah. And we didn't really dive deep into that question. I mean, frankly, I didn't ask that question to be honest. But you know, I think Christopher admits in the interview that like he basically followed everything Trent Reznor did. You know, I think he's also the first to admit that that they that they that they fell into like an alternative audience. So I, I'm not sure that he would say necessarily that they are that they can only be stamped as an industrial band. Um, they did they toured with a lot of other bands that were in that al- alternative world. Yeah, I mean, I kind of put them with like Filter, and you know those bands where yes, they were industrial rock, but they had a bit more. They were a bit more balanced. Than say Nine Inch Nails, which felt much more on the industrial side. Like yeah. March of the Pigs made sense for Nine Inch Nails. It wouldn't have made sense for a band like this or Filter. Whereas like Filter doing Take a Picture was like, okay, I mean, that's kind of a laid back song that sounds like Jane's Addiction, but I can also kind of see like it fitting into their sound. He was, he was saying out with Rich as Filter started. So Filter and Stabbing West would run very similar paths at the same time. Gotcha. And in fact, the guitar player that Stuart Zeckman who played on On God, Stabbing Westward's 1994 album, On God, was originally working with Rich in Filter and, you know, kind of had that kind of point in the road, decided, you know, uh, which way to go, and he decided to, to join Stabbing Westward. Um, that makes sense. I, I noticed one of the guys that's in the band now, I think, is Carlton Boast, and he was in Orgy. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I imagine, like, like, 80s rock bands. There are like a lot of members that move within and out of these circles because they have similar styles and tastes and, you know, they tour together and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Now, the one thing uh, before we get started, I would just say that the new record, I mean, if you're a Stabbing Westward fan, it is right in the wheelhouse. I think um, you, you'd have a hard time knowing if this was from, you know, 1998 or 2022. It's, it's just, um, it's got that sound. Excellent. Thanks, Chip. Let's get to that interview now i'm here with chris hall from stabbing westford thanks for joining us today Hello, thanks for having me. So I'm a storyteller, and so I have to open with my story, even though this is all about you. Um, you probably don't know me or remember me, and you shouldn't, but back in the Ungod days, I was a music writer. Uh, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and there was a Sony college rep in town named Andy Flick. And, Andy Flick, yeah, yeah. And Andy turned me on to Stabbing Westward. We actually saw you at the CMJ convention before the record came out when you opened for Quicksand and Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine, yeah. And I mean, I just remember that being 
I had never heard of you. And he was telling me that you were a new band on the label. And just remember being so excited and impressed. And I kept calling him and like, Hey, do you have any promos? Do you have any advanced copies yet? Cause I'm ready to hear it. Then when the album came out, um, you came through Ohio quite a bit and, uh, I was always hanging out with Andy and we spent time, I don't know even necessarily with you, but we definitely spent time with the band either at the Newport Music Hall. I know that we went up to Cleveland at Blossom Music Center when you play with Depeche Mode. I saw you with Killing Joke. So I've seen you a bunch and um, I think I probably hung out a little bit more with um, Stuart and uh, Jim. Another one of those weird little stories. Jim went to high school with my wife's, my wife's, cousin's wife so anyway there's a small small in ohio right yeah yeah Yeah. so that was my introduction to you but doing a little bit more research and to me you were a brand new band but when you put out the first record you weren't really a brand new band at that point were you no not at all we had we had been pretty established in chicago for almost eight or ten years at that point it's been a while we were we were right there with um we would do shows at the Metro and the Avalon, the Smashing Pumpkins before they got signed. So we were like right, right there at the same, not, not same. Well, yeah, we're at the same level. The Smashing Pumpkins at the time before we both got signed, and then clearly <laughs> they leapfrogged past us quite a bit. Yeah, I was really into probably maybe a year or two before you some of the Chicago bands, the Triple Fast Actions, the Fig Dish, the Veruca mm-hmm. Salts that were getting that attention. Were yeah, you getting, yeah. Were you getting the same attention at that time? No, we weren't, because um, I think industrial music in Chicago was a kind of a double-edged sword, where it was sort of the home mecca of industrial music, yet they didn't really acknowledge local industrial music as being... on. This. I think that Warsaw had a very similar problem as well, where they were, you know, making music in the same studios as Ministry, but because Ministry were... A, legendary and mythic status anything below that was was considered um like local it was, it was weird it was a very very competitive weird scene and i think the veruca salts and the, the other bands um like who else was going uh, urge overkill was from mm. yeah yeah and then there's a there's a couple of other rock rock based bands like even pumpkins that i think that they had a more kind of open field for for development a lot more a lot more rock clubs than there were you know industrial clubs yeah and there was not a lot i mean you played with the pumpkins but besides that there wasn't a lot of crossover with like what you'd call the alternative indie rock bands the ruka salts like did you ever play no 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 we never played a show with ruka salt we played with Catherine a lot oh yeah and big hat and um and pumpkins were the main because because early pumpkins were very very dark it was um very early cure like it was it was just like super cure um had a bit of like lush in it it was kind of 4ad ish in a way um but way more so than they became more mainstream alternative rock they sort of became the poster child for alternative rock um in a certain way but uh before that they were they had a very goth kind of feel to them so we would do do shows with them a lot right so how did the labels come to you and, and was it just was it columbia that you signed with columbia yeah but we had two or three different labels looking at us um nine inch nails i think was pretty much the key to it i think when when nine inch nails gains um certain level of success 
labels, you know, they have that thing where they start sniffing around at a scene to see what's happening. And then when I think the when when Trent did Lollapalooza, you could definitely tell there was like a buzz going on about it. And then when he did the Woodstock where they smeared themselves in mud and it just sort of catapulted the next level. Um, there was kind of I, a lot of labels came to Chicago looking for is there another band like this? And um we were kind of you know, already there. We, yeah. we already had our sound and our thing together and everything. So there were a lot of bands kind of inspired by Nine Inch Nails that formed and tried to like put a band together quickly, but we were already sort of a pre-established act. I mean, we were actually kind of old at that point. Most people get signed at 18 to 20 and I was like 25 or 26 already. So yeah. um, it was just good timing. I mean, you know, Nine Inch Nails' success definitely paved the way for us. Yeah. So we can talk about um, the different members and, and lineups and stuff, but I think a oh, lot yeah. of, a lot of, a lot of people sort of think, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but interpretation of like the original, the band that performed on the original album is the original band, but you had had a couple of different members, right? Like the people on, on God not, weren't necessarily like the original yeah. Stabbing Western. Yeah, Revenge. no, actually, actually half the band on, on, on God were people who joined um, Stuart. So Walter and I formed the band um in high school basically um we didn't go to the same school but we knew each other from band camp so we put a band together and um we were always the core of the band and then we met stewart when stewart was in an unnamed band with rich patrick at the time um and rich patrick went to school with jim and so we were hanging out with rich and um i had toured with thy warsaw so i'd known rich from that tour and um we were hanging out and doing acid in Jello Biafra's attic, um, Jello Biafra's girlfriend's attic. And um, we were all sitting around talking. And I think, yeah, Chris Renner was with us because he was in Die Warsaw with me. And so we we're all just sitting around, hanging out and talking. And Stuart was there with Rich. And we were talking. And Stuart found what we were doing sort of fascinating because him and Rich were doing what became Filter. But um, it was super rock based. And what we were doing was super uh, synth based. We had a bunch of, um, at the time, I was going to say vintage synths, but they weren't vintage at the time. We had like, you know, an emulator, an Emacs, um, a couple of like a Juno and a Pro One and some stuff like that. But um, he, he really liked that kind of stuff. And so um, he was playing bass for Rich, but I asked him if he wanted to come play guitar on a track. And because we were just hanging out and partying or whatever, he's like, yeah, yeah, cool. And then he he played on a couple of tracks. And then the project with Rich um, kind of hit a snag and and um, it went on hold for a while. So while it was on hold, Stuart came over and played with us and um, he ended up writing uh, 50, 60% of On God was, was Stuart. And the other half was Walter, the stuff that we had done before Stuart had joined the band. And so, I mean, in a very, very short time, he entered the band and completely changed the sound of the band, the direction of the band. The I mean, we became way more rock when Stuart joined the band, and um, it was it was cool, but it was um, it was it was a shock to us because it was kind of happening to us, and we were, we were excited at the moment, but then we stepped back and looked back, go, oh man, that's that's the moment that. The, the sound of the band sort of got derailed from the industrial thing that we were doing in Chicago, but it also opened up the door to, you know, signing to Columbia and um, 
they're just having more more mainstream hooky songs so yeah and so i i've listened now because you re-released or you re-recorded some of the early songs right under was evo jesus is that how you oh yeah yeah that was our original that was our original ep before but what you've put out has been are those re-recordings of those songs or those they are they are re-recordings because no one has the original eight track recordings but they're 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 done on eight track to one inch yeah but they're um loyal to the the originals I, yes, I tried very hard to be loyal to the originals. I was able to dig up a lot of the samples um, that we had before. Uh, I changed the lyrics a tiny bit to to update them, update them just a little bit, um, mostly to be clever. And then um, it was I, I I tried to use as much of the original production as possible, um, but it was it's hard because we did it. The original one was done, a couple of the songs were done on, we had a, I think we had an eight track and and we had all of our keyboards and drum machines all uh, simply time code to this eight track. And so we were kind of like the Beatles at that point. Anything that we couldn't fit on seven tracks, um, we had to bounce and create and make, you know, so we, we had very, very limited tracks. And now I've got, I've got this. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I've got this monstrosity of a system. I could do, you know, 200 tracks and just go, you know, I have keyboards and guitars just out the wazoo. I have a drum kit at my feet. Um, but, um, yeah, so the, 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 the hard part was don't, don't use everything you have. Use what you had then. And that was so bizarrely frustrating. But I'm like, you know what, I'm going to use a little bit of autotune on my vocal because we did have it back in 1994. So I'm going to just a tiny bit, just keep it a bit. So it was interesting to me because you can hear some of the more synthy Depeche Mode related stuff in that, mm-hmm. in that, but then you also hear more industrial stuff. So I think like to your mm-hmm. point, Ungod kind of took those two and kind of put them, kind of centered them a little bit in that yeah, in space. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, th- I think we lost a bit of the Depeche on Ungod. I think it became oh yeah for sure a, a bit more rock. And then uh, when when Andy joined the band on Wither, I think with songs like What Do I Have to Do and Inside You and um why we kind of picked up on the the depeche sounds again yeah because depeche depeche mode was a bad word in chicago industrial music scenes i mean the the rumor was cam fdm actually named themselves after you know a dislike of of the pop music of depeche mode um personally i love depeche mode i loved them from the time i was a kid because um i'm i'm i love hooks i love you know music you can sing along to as a singer you know i think they're brilliant uh skinny puppy amazing musical band but i don't sing in the shower to skinny puppy you yeah, know yeah. it's like as a singer it's like i i, I listen to stuff that that um is really you know melodic and, and great vocals and stuff like that so the qualities that i guess you know super hardcore tough guy industrial people disliked about Depeche Mode is everything I loved about them and then when we toured with them and I saw them every night for you know two years I just it was just magical it's like amazing that's a that's what I was going to ask so how amazing was that with being able to open was, for the was, I mean to be able to open for them was terrifying yeah. um because they had huge crowds and their crowds were um we opened for a lot of bands um we opened for Kiss and that was probably one of the worst experiences of my life. The crowds were so, they weren't even disinterested. Disinterested is fine, but they were like hostile. Like they were angry that you weren't Kiss. And they right. thought if they could somehow 
boo you off the stage or scream you off the stage that you'd walk off and then Gene Simmons would just walk out and start playing right away. And it's like, it's not how any of this works. They're not, they're not even here yet. <laughs> they're not even in the building. So um, that, that was a bummer. Uh, Sex Pistols was fun, but the Depeche crowd was awesome because they actually love music and, and they listened to us. And if we were too heavy for some of them, they would respectfully go get t-shirts or something to drink or whatever. So that was, that was great. The best part was getting to watch them, watch them every night. Some nights I'd go to the sound booth and watch. Sometimes I'd sit with the lighting guy and watch. Um, halfway through the tour, I bought a camera and I started taking pictures from the photo pit while they were playing. Um, and then after the shows, we would get to hang out and Martin and I became foosball partners. So I'd be his goalie and he would table football is what they call it. But um, I'd be his goalie and we would challenge you know, any, anybody in, in the audience who came back to hang out and party with us, we would challenge the best food, but we never lost this. I think people let us win because it was Martin, but um, yeah, I mean, befriending them and um, getting to watch them perform night after night, never, ever got old. There are people that followed Depeche Mode around on tour. And I thought, what kind of crazy person follows a band on tour? Um, and then I thought, well, you know what? I could do this every night. I could hang out and watch them play, you know, these songs every single night. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So you go from that and then Stuart leaves and Dave leaves, right? And, and yes. Th- and then you, and then you start recording. Andy comes in and you start mm-hmm. working on, on Wither. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Wither, I was looking at Wikipedia and I'm not sure how accurate Wikipedia is, but the sales numbers between those on God and, and Wither just, it, it, blew up like i mean you went from yeah yeah what do i have to do yeah is what is what did it yeah so nothing was our first single on on god and it did okay we got played on 120 minutes um but it never never made it onto mainstream radio and then what do i have to do came out and um you know we were able to capture that that blend of like you know depeche mode and stone temple pilots you know, with the with the guitar riff and the verse and the, the guitars and the heavier drums, it, it just sort of landed in a right spot with alternative radio at that point. And um, yeah, that that was a pretty big hit. That was that was a good good couple months. Yeah, and and so I mean, you just mentioned it. It, it wasn't it wasn't um, it wasn't luck. I mean, it was you were in the right place at the right time with the right sound that really resonated in the in the kind of mid to late nineties with people. It was a, yeah, a, mix, a mix of what was on radio and it sort of worked perfectly. Yeah. I think we weren't. I don't. We weren't trying though. I don't oh, yeah. think anyone had some some grandmaster plan of oh, if we do this, like this is. It was just kind of what we like. Oh, oh Andy sure. had written. Andy had written. What do I have to do? When he was still in the Exotic Birds with Trent, and so he brought this demo to me on cassette. He gave me a cassette. Um, that I took to the gym with me and it had what do I have to do sometimes it hurts haunting me crushing me inside you and the intro to slipping away those were all on one cassette and there were like partial ideas kind of developed ideas they were all Andy singing and he's got a really odd ethereal voice that's like not like mine at all and so I would listen to them and I'd be like, what would I do with this? How can I, how can I, you know, how can we make this stabbing westward, whatever that is? Um, identity crisis has been the number one 
identity of stabbing Western from the beginning is sure. who are we? Are we industrial? Are we electronic? Are we rock? What are we supposed to be? Um, but yeah, that was that was a that was a magical cassette. That little tape that he gave me. I'm like, dude, you've got a lot of a lot of little gems on here just waiting to be turned into tracks. So yeah, that was I, fun. I can only imagine. That's another Cleveland connection I have. My my neighbor's parents were dentists. And some of their patients owned the fantasy theater in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Wow, the and, fantasy, yeah. And Andy used to be the bar manager there. And oh, so before stabbing West during exotic bird days, my friend and I used to go, they, they let us come to shows early. Uh, like we went to saw Ace Fraley and um, his, my friend's parents didn't want us to get in for free. So we had to go work. And so we would go in and we, we'd actually check in with Andy and he'd make us roll kegs from the back to the front and take ice mm-hmm. bins. And so it was funny when, when he joined Stabbing Western, that was the first I was aware of like Andy as the rock star, not the bar manager who made me haul yeah. bins of ice around. So it's pretty cool to so see. Before, before, before us though, I think he toured with Vava for a while. Yeah. He, and then he, and he did like six months with Crowded House or something like that. So yeah, he was... He was the guy to call for, for our kind of music. So when Dave quit, it was um, it was a game changer because Andy joined the band, and not only was he like, a, you know, a, a far Dave was a guy Walter went to high school with. Andy was a guy who went to you know the Conservatory of Music and and you know toured with the Van Crowded House. So it's like it was a huge step up, like drummer wise. But then to be handed, like to suddenly realize, oh my God, this guy's a songwriter who can like, like, you know, just like writes all the time, constantly writing hit after hit after hit. Um, yeah. So, so Dave did us a great service by opening the door for Andy, not saying, you know, but yeah, Andy wouldn't have joined the band if, if Dave hadn't quit mid, mid tour and we hadn't, you know, needed somebody desperately to come finish the killing joke tour with us, which is how we hooked up with Andy. Yeah. You guys did a lot of touring in those days, but you were also, but you were also very consistent with putting out a new record every two years, which I think is is a little bit rare because, like, with all that time on the road, having the time to write and record and stuff, I mean, it was a consistent every two years you were putting something out. Which I don't, I'm not sure in the '90s if a lot of bands did something like that. We were forced to our label and our manager would literally pull us off the road. The day our record went gold, the day Wither went gold, um, we were at a state fair and like kentucky or tennessee or somewhere weird that we didn't want to be and they said oh your record went gold congratulations and we're like thanks and our bus is parked in the middle of like a carnival (laughs) we're like planning for this show and it was really weird and they go okay your record went gold you're coming home we're going to cancel the rest of the tour that you're on you're going to come home and start writing the next record we're like but we're on tour they're like doesn't matter we need to get the next record out and it's going to take a year it took almost exactly a year by the time that we came home, you know, sat down, wrote the record and um, started recording and stuff. It, it took a while. But yeah, it was a, a an intense eight years. Yeah. So Darkest Days did really well, too, sales wise. Mm-hmm. And you toured on that. What what happened after that? How did you end up getting dropped? And, and like, what was the <sighs> surroundings behind that? It was a perfect storm. It was a perfect storm of Napster. Oh, right. Um, the 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 sky was falling as far as the music industry was concerned. Um, oh my God, people can 
you know, download songs and not pay $17 for CDs. But we've been making cassette bootlegs since I was in grade school. You know, we would record songs off the radio on cassette. It wasn't the end of the world. Um, it was that. Um, Columbia did like some some massive restructuring where uh, they they got rid of a bunch of bands. And we actually stayed during the first batch of band droppings. Um, our A&R guy left for another label, the guy who signed us originally, and we got stuck with another A&R guy who never liked us and never really wanted to have anything to do with us and was just kind of biding his time. And then we uh, <laughs> we made a couple of tragic decisions as far as management goes, and we got rid of this manager who'd been super awesome to us for three records, and we had... Uh, who was the... The guy in Lord of the Rings that was, um, was it Wormtongue? The one whispering in the King Theoden's ears, telling him uh, all that, I think so. that he needed to team up with Saruman and Saron and all them. Um, we had, we had one of those, someone saying, oh, you guys did okay, but think if you'd done better. Think if like these things had happened, you guys would have platinum records. I mean, look at Filter, look at these other bands, look at Bush. They're so much bigger than you, you know? And, uh, we, we bought into the, the, the bs and terrible terrible decisions made it was almost like you predicted it by calling the album darkest days before the darkest days happened <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> i don't know uh, who so names then, their fourth album self-titled like <laughs> <laughs> and and if i if i understand correctly like you, you don't love the way the self-titled turned out hate it yeah i hate are, it are you happy with the songs themselves though the original songs, um, Walter has always talked about releasing the demos of the songs because um, the demos of half the record were pretty cool. They're, you know, dark, you know, standard stabbing Westward tracks with Mark playing guitar. Um, but, you know, after we got dropped from Columbia, literally on the eve of going to Hawaii to record with Bob Rock, um, everyone started second guessing themselves. You know, they, they, you've, you've got this management saying, Oh, you guys need to, to reinvent yourselves. You need to be more pop. You need to be, you know, the kind of music you're doing is dead. You need to do, you know, you need to roll with the times. And, um, my theory was we had 500,000 people who had bought our record between wither and darkest days. They bought, both records and it was only a year ago <laughs> it wasn't that long ago um if we just stay true to who we are and you get you know 50 percent of those people to continue to support the band that's a win i always thought that our success during those two records was not a fluke but a bonus if we could have just maintained a solid i mean there's so many bands today that have you know 50 100,000 fans that that have really awesome careers that are constantly able to play good shows play festivals you know you can maintain uh, you know a really good fan base like that if you stay faithful to yourself and to your fans when you try to be something you're not and reach higher and it's like it's never good it's never never a good thing yeah, so so this the songs just got self doubt and and other people getting their you know opinion like the producers and stuff like that 
um, everyone's trying to chime in and change the band and, and half of us were fighting it and then begrudgingly going along with it. And it just, it just, you can hear that it's not, it's not what it was. It's not a band anymore. It was just, you know, we didn't even know the guitar player. <laughs> the guy was literally brought in without us knowing who he was and playing on our tracks when we weren't there. And we're like, okay, this is no longer a band. This is just, it's like a studio project or something. So yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't even listen to it anymore. I still think that um, So Far Away is one of the best songs we've ever written. Yeah. So I, I, used to know, play live. I don't know much about record contracts. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, but um, do you do you have the rights to those songs? Like, if you wanted to put them out in their demo forms or re-record them, or you can't. You no, but but I don't think anyone would notice or care. <laughs> That's the reality of it. Yeah. It's like no, there's there's no one at Sony that was there when we were there, so there's no police like walking around going, hmm, you know. But I don't I don't see any point. I mean, we're we're re-recording. Uh, songs off of Wither, um, for like as B sides. Oh, cool! And we're 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 doing it for because twenty twenty one was the twenty fifth anniversary of Wither, and we yeah. really wanted to tour and do like a proper Wither all the way through album. Um, but twenty twenty one went by with us playing one show, one show in two years. Um, finally, get the band back together and can't play a show for two years um so we had created backing tracks to play the songs live and i just took those and did remixes of the songs just to create kind of new interesting you know it's sort of a uh what if we were more electronic what if we hadn't had you know the rock influences so we're going back and sort of revisiting that stuff which i find fun but for the most part um i'd rather just focus on new music sure uh after after the self-titled i think the band sort of just fell apart right and then yeah and then we fell apart during the self-titled okay <laughs> um you know I, I i imagine you were still busy but like i don't think you put out a dreaming record for for a couple of years after that was there a, a yeah there's a big gap um, it was hard it was hard to put a band together everyone wanted me to come join their project but it was really hard to find people to work on music with me and oddly enough i made the same not mistake but i made the same mistake <laughs> that's the word <laughs> the, um so you know stabbing westward is sort of uh the people that were in the band other than me and walter there was no thought put into it it was just sort of life happened and people ended up in the band like andy came to fill in for Dave on a tour, ended up staying for the rest of the time. Um, It's like, I have this unique chance to put together a band, you know, that guys that I like, that I, you know, respect and musically, blah, blah, blah. And and that's shockingly hard. It's really, really hard because uh, the, the field of candidates in a town the size of Hollywood is tiny. You know, it's like, 10 people, 15 people, maybe. And I think they were all in my band at one point. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it was at the time when emo and warp tour and all that stuff was going on. And I wanted to go old school industrial. And I, I realize now, like my jealousy of Trent is the fact that he went his own way, did it himself, 
and never strayed from that. I was always like, I'm a team player. I want to be in a band. I want to be a part of something bigger than me. And now I'm like, you know what? I want to be, I just want to do my own music where like no one plays a, you know, Scorpions guitar solo across it. Just like, I don't want, I don't want it to sound like Avenged Sevenfold. I want it to sound like, you know, old school, late eighties industrial music meets Depeche Mode. I had this vision for what I wanted it to do. And then I ended up with all these amazing musicians and guys that I loved and created the dreaming. And it was not anything like what I wanted it to be, but it once again snowballed out of my control. And I'm like, okay, here I am once again, rolling down the hill of fate. You know? Along with Trent, did you were, were you consciously watching um, Filter and Rich and kind of what they were doing? And, and I mean, Rich sort of led the same trajectory, right? Where he was the original filter, Brian, mm-hmm, his gang mm-hmm. kind of took off and, and mm-hmm. Rich kept it going and brought new people in and out. Um, were, you, were you paying attention to what was going on with filter? Yeah. We, I mean, Rich and I were always friends. So yeah, we, we were always cheering for filter. Filter was sort of like the underdog that got out from underneath Trent's shadow, which I thought yeah. was cool. Yeah. So with filter keeping the name and keeping it going, did you, when, when you started the dreaming was, was that your point where you're like, I just need a clear split from the Stabbing Westward name? Or had you considered keeping the Stabbing Westward name? Oh, no, I never considered keeping the Stabbing Westward name. It didn't feel like it belonged to me. It was like me and Walters. The the thing that I go back and I look back at the what happened to the band, and um, the thing that makes me the saddest is that when the band started falling apart during the self-titled, Walter and I didn't stay together. We didn't team up together and fight for our band, fight for... So like Andy and Jim were 50% of the band at that point. And when when they decided to break it up, our manager, who was kind of the root, of, root cause of the whole thing, um, sort of laid out the ground rules of how the band would be broken up. And we just accepted those terms, even though I realized now we didn't have to. And we just sort of accepted the inevitable because the goal was to divide up all the property. It was like a divorce. They're dividing up all the gear, all the property, all the rights. And 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 she was, you know, taking our guitar amps and selling them to one of her other bands for dirt cheap. Like 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 they're literally cleaning house um on all of our stuff, on our career and our history. And and I was just I just shrugged it off. I'm like, whatever, you know. Um I just I just moved along with my life, but I look back now and thought Walter and I should have fought to keep the band, just to keep the name and to keep the band and to, you know, wait a year or two and then, and then keep it going. But yeah, I see that how filter kept it going the whole, like they never, ever stopped. And, and in a way that's awesome. But in another way, I think breaking up for a while and coming back together created a, a second wave of interest that, that would be harder to have maintained for 20 years. Yeah, good point. As I mentioned before we started recording, uh, Dig Me Out is really focused on, on uncovering long lost albums, albums that didn't get appreciated. And, and Stabbing Western really, you were in, I don't want to say mainstream, but people knew you. I mean, people knew a Stabbing Western song when they heard it. You, did, mm-hmm. you guys did a lot of touring. I know personally as a fan, when I heard Walter joining you in the Dreaming and Walter joining you on stage and playing some Stabbing West, like, I was, uh, how old was I in 1994, 95, in my mid twenties, I got excited. Like as a, as an older, as an older adult now, 
hearing the Stabbing Westward name and even the hint of a reunion excited me. So I think maybe to your point, right? Like with Filter, like absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Like I, yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah, ready yeah. For, I was ready for it. Um, yeah. I do respect for Rich for keeping going though. Was that the kind of feedback you were getting? Is that what led to Stabbing Westward's name coming back and you doing Stabbing Westward? Is that you were hearing people like myself who had missed you for so long? Or was it just a, a personal thing? You were ready to do it again. Got my foot stuck between two drums. Um, <laughs> it was a, it was a resignation that that the dreaming, no matter how hard I worked on it, was never ever going to be as as loved as stepping westward. Even if the music, in my opinion, was as strong or stronger at times. For sure, it's like it's like you know, no matter how great a song i wrote or how good the production was or whatever you know there's just a history and the nostalgia to something from people's childhood and you can't compete with that you yeah. know no matter how good a cereal is if it's not captain crunch with crunch berries it's not gonna ring your bell but um there's that and then there's just the the brute hard cold financial aspect of it that the dreaming got a thousand dollars a night to play a show and stabbing westward could command ten thousand dollars a night fifteen thousand dollars a night and and sell way more tickets and so um you know two of the guys in the dreaming actually the dreaming and stabbing westward for a while were the same band there's like right. johnny me carlton and, and walter and then mark joined and carlton switched to bass so so it was like the dreaming plus mark was was stabbing westward so how do you explain to these guys well i'd rather play these old songs that or these songs that nobody knows <laughs> I make a thousand bucks to keep my integrity as opposed to playing these old songs that everybody knows and get paid more money. And, and um, at the same time, it's like, well, there's no loss of integrity because they're still the same songs that, you know, they're, they're still, I'm still part of Stabbing Westward. I'm not, it's not like I'm playing covers or something, you know, right. I didn't join a wedding band. So it was, it was, it was a, it was a little bit of a, a, a trip for me to get my head around it and to give up and to, to go back to stabbing westward um, and there's also some legal stuff we weren't really sure you know where we stood with the name and stuff like that so then we just reached out to jim and andy and asked do you guys want to do this because if you guys want to play we'd love for you to and andy's got um a thriving business creating music content for um tv shows and movies mm. so he, he has a studio in burbank where he pumps out hundreds of songs for DIY shows and reality TV shows and stuff like that. It's like you know, I think he's got several people working for him, and he's he's got like a, a business yeah, yeah. going on, and and he's like, I don't have time for for that. I'm like, cool. Um, none of us do. <laughs> Just, that's why we that's why we play weekends four times a year. But um, um, yeah. So it was it was it was a it was a haul, but it was you know, once we made the decision, we stuck with it. Yeah, and and because because you're always creating it was you were always thinking about making new music it wasn't going to be the stabbing western nostalgia show playing the greatest hits you wanted to no, keep actually that's actually that's what it was um, oh, was that it? was the thing that was the thing that made made it hardest for me is that that i never stopped writing music actually after stabbing broke up i wrote more music because i was oh. way more active in the dreaming as a writer and a producer than i ever was in stabbing westward i was the the, the singer and i wrote you know the vocals for a lot of the stuff andy wrote vocals too and then um i would get my token one or two songs per album you know why so wrong 
you complete me sleep stuff like that like i would get basically two songs per album that i could put on um and so in the dreaming i was you know full-time producer writer kind of thing um so i was kind of sad at the idea of you know going back to just playing old songs but at the same time the thrill that you get the rush that i get um on stage playing you know uh save yourself and what do i have to do and, and drugstore and everything um i feel really alive when i'm doing that it feels really really good so um there's no no regret there and we we tried to play we did a song called home for the cold waves um compilation cd a couple of years ago and it was a song that we had recorded in 2000 for the self-titled album but it was considered too heavy for that um and uh we re-recorded it and put it on the compilation and we played it live at the um at the show and i said does anybody want to hear a new song and everyone cheered really really loud yay and so we cool i got all excited and we start playing it and about three lines into the first verse i look at the audience and everyone's head is down and they're all being lit by their phones and they're all checking their instagram and looking at their facebook and checking their texts and you know whatever and and it's like oh they don't know this song and i realized if we write a new album this is what it's going to be it's going to be they act like they want to hear it but nobody really wants to hear new music when you're when you're our age you want to hear what you know where it's 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 hard learning new songs <laughs> not yeah. as a band but as a listener you oh know? sure it's like sure. it takes focus you're like like the actively uh sorry that's okay uh end and accept hold and accept no send a voicemail there we go okay sorry someone was calling oh yeah no worries hey that okay sorry yep. i'm mixing a record for the hunger out of houston texas and oh, cool. i just sent him a mix right before you called me and i'm like let me know what you think of the mix but not in the middle of my interview yeah <laughs> um yeah so i mean i dreaded the idea of, of doing a new record and having you know nobody care but it, it seems to have ow it seems to have um been a good balance of it we played dead and gone the song dead and gone at our cold wave show um a month ago two months ago i don't know when was that october Whoa, a long time ago um and and people liked it but i think they'd heard it yeah i think it had been out for almost a year or so this is not and i hope you don't take this as an insult but but i mean stabbing westward and chris hall songs there's a familiarity whether it's a new song or an old song i mean i i have a i've listened to the, to the new album and it sounds like stabbing westward to me like there's nothing out there that's like wait is this the same band is this the same singer like you have very distinct yeah yeah i think my voice is distinct i think when we did the ep um crawl and cold were my productions and dead and gone was walter's production and one of the criticisms i heard not criticisms but things i heard was oh it sounds like the dreaming i'm not sure this sounds like stabbing westward it sounds like the dreaming and um then when we did what was the other one we did um when we did the halloween thing we did the halloween cover little ep i got a similar thing where um i did burn and halloween and walter did killing killing moon and everyone's like oh killing moon sounds like stabbing westward I'm like okay i'm starting to see a pattern here 
<laughs> Walter, who wrote Save Yourself and Waking Up Beside You and Violent Mood Swings and Vies and all those songs um, so far away, he's the sound of Stabbing Westward and I'm the yeah. voice of Stabbing Westward. I'm Dave Gahan. I get it. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So, um, yeah, so on the new record, I, I, I was, you know, careful to not not let myself get too you know i think i have the same like three songs on the record rather than you know like i didn't overdo it i tried i tried to give walter a ton of space i haven't actually even heard the album oh really him and john yeah him and john did most of the record by themselves and i haven't actually listened to it yet so uh yeah hopefully i'm not on it enough that it sounds like a stabbing record (laughs) what i absolutely love is is like the first the first 10 seconds the the i don't know keyboard synth of um i am nothing oh that's know, me thanks i don't know <laughs> i don't know how to describe it other than like in a good way like the intro is just like it's nasty like i just yeah, I, yeah. Like it's just it's thanks like you set the tone right from the beginning i'm like oh man i'm i'm already bought in the first five seconds so thanks yeah, yeah. that's my sequential circuits profit x very cool. I got I got I got really into like old school um since this this record. I got tired of Omnisphere and Serum and plugins. I'm like, I want to get actual keyboards <laughs> that yeah. I can actually turn the knobs on old school. And okay. then you can sit there and go, gong, gong, ka-ka, 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 you know, turn the knob and like get it like really tweaking. But yeah. yeah. So I know Walter is a DJ or program director or he's got a radio mm-hmm. career. Um yeah, yeah. How does that affect? So, so I, I'm hoping, keeping my fingers crossed, that there's a tour coming up. Tour? I don't think there's a tour coming up. We're no. trying to put dates together. It's actually a, a shockingly hard time. Oh, it's not shocking. It's a really hard time to book shows because we we booked every time a surge ebbs, we will optimistically book a bunch of shows, and the next surge comes, and we are. We are erring on the side of, of like safety. We're not, I know a lot of bands that are just like, fuck it, we're going out. You know, they don't care. Well, I have to care. I have two little kids at home and I'm 56 years old. And, and you know, we, we can't just, we didn't, we didn't know what the risks were. We didn't want to risk it. And our fans are all older. Right. And, and this is, you know, pre-vaccine at that point. So, um, you know, I don't want to, be, it shouldn't be political but yeah we were just worried about you know our families and and plus bobby our drummer teaches he's a he runs a drum school so he's got 300 kids between the ages of four and nine that he teaches drums to and he can't risk bringing you know that home either right. um sounds like we're talking about an std or something <laughs> but um yeah so we had to cancel a bunch of dates and it just got to the point where um you know, until we know that we can do something, it doesn't make sense to, to book stuff. Um, we're, we're doing some Northwest dates in July, maybe. Um, we're doing uh, a benefit concert in Chicago at the Metro for Charles Levi, the bass player from Throco Cult, who had some serious medical problems and astronomical medical bills. So we're going to go play Metro and, and raise money for him. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know when we're going to tour. And even if we did, it's still got to be weekends because I've got, I've got two little kids. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave. My, yeah. my uh, six-year-old got student of the month this morning and we found out yesterday, like come to the town hall meeting. It's like, they have this like 
big meeting on the playground on Thursdays. And, you know, sometimes parents will hang out and watch it from the fence. And they're like, you know, come to the meeting and watch. You're going to have a surprise. And he went student of the month. And that's, that's huge. And if I was on tour, I wouldn't see that, you know? And, Absolutely. Yeah, that's, what, so, that's what matters. And, and yeah, it is what matters to me. Makes a lot of sense, um, yeah. But yeah, we're going to try and play weekend shows and stuff. I just don't know when we can, because now that we actually want to play shows, every venue is booked because every band's been sitting on their hands for, you know, three years. So every band in the world is desperately fighting for the same, you know, venues and half the venues closed during COVID. So yeah. there's a lot of places not even open anymore. So it's, uh, it's getting pretty competitive. I will put in a plug. There's a club, a new club in Columbus, Ohio, that actually opened right after the pandemic called um, um, the King of Clubs. And it's mm-hmm. really, it, it's really, um, their sweet spot is uh, 80s hair metal and 90s alt rock. So like Everclear's oh, playing cool. there. Cool. Non, Non-Point is playing there soon. Um, so if you happen to come to Columbus, Ohio, that would be the ideal venue. Um, I, got, cool. I got two sort of hope, maybe quick questions. The one thing I didn't think about earlier when we were talking is, you guys ended up on a lot of soundtracks as I was going through. So your music was out there in other non-traditional ways. You were showing up in movies mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, was that just an added bonus or were you fighting to get the, or your manager fighting to get you or the label fighting to get you? Or is it, or... I think Sony, I think a lot of that stuff was Sony. Um, it was being on Sony was, uh, it was a powerhouse, you know, Columbia was a powerhouse label at that point. Um, I, I, you know, we, we have, I have, gold records on the wall but yeah. i didn't earn them columbia earned them. the guys <laughs> the guys at columbia uh josh josh sarabin our a and r guy and and all the radio promotion people they're the ones that got the gold record i mean we just wrote the songs and played them live but they're the ones that sure. went out and, and did the hard work um so yeah they were they were monsters over there just getting us in soundtracks and getting us on the radio and they'd make us do these horrible promotional things where we'd have to get up at five in the morning and do the morning show and try and sing acoustic even yeah. though my voice is ragged from singing the night before and they would make us go do like you know uh, barbecue cookout events and like just dumb we're like why are we doing this stupid shit and it, it was because it was for the radio stations sure. and the radio stations would play our song and we would come and do these like silly things for their winners or whatever and um, all that stuff added up. And and at the time, we were like, you know, it's not those little kids that thought we were too cool for school. But I look back on it now and it's like, that was the hard work that they did and we did in order to make it all happen. And fans don't see that stuff. They see, you know, guy on the stage or the video or whatever. But yeah, they, they were the ones that put in all the hard work, not us. What was the question? Soundtrack. Oh. Sony got us all the movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so kind of to close it up, I, I've been doing, this is now my third or fourth interview for the series. And um, I know the nineties were a long time ago, but as a reflection, um, if you think back, if I ask you to sum up the nineties from your experience, was it good? Was it bad highs and lows? Did you, do you have a lot of good memories or like, how, how would you, how would you wrap it up in, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a nice little couple sentence the 90s I mean, I mean, the, the, the 90s were, you know, basically the the center of my my universe, my life, um, but also a black hole <laughs> at the center of my galaxy. Um, it was a, it was it was a whirlwind. I mean, we were constantly on tour or writing a record, and um, everything was in constant turmoil. I never had a solid place to live. Um, 
it was it was crazy. And while I was in it, I don't think I appreciated any of it because it was happening too fast. And then when I got out of it and I looked back, I was like, oh, that was weird. And Walter has a vivid memory of every event that we did, like every every show that we did, every venue, every person we ever met, where every Starbucks is in every town ever. And um, mine is kind of a blur, like more of a collage. It's like, uh, you know, the, the highs were definitely, you know, Reading Festival, um, opening for Depeche Mode, uh, being at Martin Gore's wedding. Um, just a lot of it's the friends we made and the people we met and, and stuff like that. But um, it's kind of a blur. I'm an 80s kid. My favorite music is all 80s. It's not yeah. 90s. I don't listen to 90s rock. I listen to 80s. Yeah, yeah. 80s new wave. So I think this is the thing that hosts typically do to close it out. Um, what do you want to plug? Websites, Bandcamp. I don't know how you feel about Spotify these days. Uh, oh, right. I this know, is right? your chance to plug and where you want people to find you and what you want people to do once they find you. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> if they're listening. Yeah, I mean, we're on, we're on Bandcamp, Stabbing Westward. We've got um, new, new music out. And then we've got some old stuff up there too. Um, yeah. Go, go search for us. We're definitely on Spotify. You can go back on Spotify and hear the songs that we were talking about earlier. From a lot of people still don't know about Ungod, so I'd say go check that out because that, in my opinion, is the best of our, our four albums. Um, cool. And it was the le- the least selling one, but I think it was the best one. Very cool. Well, appreciate you taking the time, and um, good luck on good luck on the new record and the success of it. And hope hope, hope hope it all works out that you do get to hit the road. We will. We'll get to play shows eventually, I'm sure. Awesome. We'll, we'll see when. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. What do I have to do?